0: Hello everyone, welcome to From No To Nothing, I'm your host Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Most everyone is familiar with the story of Pandora's box. Well, at least they think they are. The story of a woman opening a box that releases all the evils of the world is ubiquitous to the point of being a colloquialism. The only problem is that many, if not all the details we know of them, could be wrong. So what does the story mean? And how is this meaning changed if the details of the account change? Today, we're talking about Pandora and her quote-unquote box. So, yeah, you, you wanted to talk about this one last week. I thought, oh, okay, this will be cool, and then start doing research, and then I go, oh, this is going to be really cool because (laughs) it's just it's a wild story. So we'll take it a little bit by little bit. Sure. Um, So who was Pandora? I think a lot of people, you know they they know the story, but they don't know the the backstory. So who is Pandora supposed to be?
1: Pandora, according to the tales, the myth, Greek myth, Pandora is. To me, uh, perhaps the first android. Mm. But uh, th- that and that already messes. Even before I go into the next <laughs> sentence, because Pandora's supposed to be the first created woman. She's created by in the in the forges. Uh, there's a hint of Hephaestus and Athena, and then every god on Olympus is tasked with giving her an endowment of some kind, a gift of some kind. So, she's the first superhero. Uh, <laughs> let's see. And, but she's not because of the story. And then she is given, uh, seemingly as a gift, but she's really created as a punishment by Zeus at the behest of Zeus, with the complicity of all the gods, to mislead Prometheus and to punish human beings. And the reason for that is that Prometheus is a titan, and unlike what we see in the Disney <laughs> you know the Hercules. I I've loved that that piece too. But you know these these giant creatures coming up out of Tartarus out of the ground where they've been encased and they're walking along like zombies, going Zoos. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. But, No, the Titans were <laughs> preliminary to the gods and had to be beaten by the gods, and and so Prometheus is a Titan. So he's he's you know on the same horizontal genealogical chart as Zeus Hmm. Um, and he has a brother named Epimetheus and Prometheus is a trickster kind of like Loki Hmm. in in that mythological system and so he tricked Zeus once with food he was going to give the poor humans down on the dark earth he, he thought he would he would trick Zeus. So Zeus were thinking he was going to get the best part of the ox and the humans would get the worst part. But Prometheus put all the good parts in the stomach of the ox and gave Zeus the stomach and Zeus is P.O.'d because what? were you gonna and and the humans were gonna get the really good stuff, but only but the really good stuff is covering up bones. The bones are put in that bag. And Zeus figures this out and then says, Why were you going to do this? Well, I was fooling you. And so, Zeus uh, gets really angry. And then Prometheus, who may well have, depending on the story, have had a hand in or created the first humans, uh, sees that they need technological help. And so, he steals fire from Zeus. He puts it in a a fennel um, pole or rod, which is hollow and which has a very dry part inside which is good for holding fire. And he takes it to humans and teaches them to use fire and to make things from it. And so, essentially, Prometheus is seen as the the beginner of science and culture. But, because he's done this, Zeus wants to punish humanity for having fire. But there are all kinds of complications and we can get into those, because I, I think the complications are important. Yeah, yeah. But that's the
0: start. Okay. <sighs> so, yeah, that's that's good. You already answered the second question, which is what's what the history of the story is. So, mm-hmm. you've given us the lead-up, and uh, you've talked about Pandora a little bit, which is, like you said, um, just from the inception of the character is very interesting. You know, I think a lot of people just, you know, most people I think would just think of her as, as being a woman. They wouldn't really know that she's the first woman. Right. And they also wouldn't know that maybe she's not really a woman at all. Like you said, she was this thing that was molded out of clay and each one of the gods gave her certain attributes. Right. And um, the, the end of those attributes seem to be to have one purpose and that was to to trick um men right so it's almost as if she's the foil to prometheus from the create a creation of the gods that's a foil to prometheus a bit. and and she brings up oh and she's and she's given a jar mm. a jar right not
1: <laughs> a box and she's given a, it's like the you know side note so many things we think we know that we don't. And that's why folklore from Aesop to mythology is so much fun to get us to think philosophically. <clears throat> so, um, in all the artistic renderings, it's a jar. Anything from an amphora, a, a kind of jar that would carry a small or large of the amphoras, large, would carry olive oil to a thing called a crater, k r a t e r e r, which is a kind of great big dish. Mm. Uh, you know, Just like the Holy Grail, side note again, was not what we think it was. All right. So, right. <laughs> so, she's got this jar and in the jar are all kinds of horrific things. So, she's got a time bomb. <laughs> yeah. She's a time bomb. She's been created for the purposes of misleading people. We don't know if she has, so it's an AI question, we don't know if she has her own personality. It's a free will question, we don't know if she has a choice about doing the things that she does. It's a theological question, gee, the gods are going to punish human because another complication is that the way that even Hesiod in the Theogony, which is where we have the oldest reference to Pandora, um the way that the wording occurs in the, in the stories over the years is that uh, Prometheus re- is, uh, Zeus takes the fire back from humans. So humans have the fire, but Zeus will, thinks they shouldn't have it and pulls it back. So then I'm thinking of the Babel story. So there are all these mm. connections <clears throat> to sacred text from mythology, mythological system to mythological system, and and she's not the same as Eve, but she still takes all the blame. The gods do all of this, but it's the
0: woman's fault. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. Before we get to before I we dive into those details, maybe yeah. we should give a synopsis of the of the story, or I okay we yeah. we could read it. It's a little bit long, but. I, yeah, why don't you give us uh, so, a picture of it? So, you, we, we
1: know that Prometheus has done this thing with fire. Um, Zeus wants to punish the humans. Zeus sends to Prometheus. Pandora was supposed to marry Prometheus, but he sends it to Epimetheus, Prometheus' brother. Now, Prometheus traditionally means forethought. Mm. Epimetheus means afterthought. <laughs> Epimetheus is forgetful. <laughs> so, uh, Pandora uh, comes to him. He is uh, taken with her, and and there's so many versions of the story. But uh, he talks to her about the jar or what's in the jar, or she's thinking about what's in the jar, or the jar is a gift for Prometheus or for the for the world, and. One way or the other, she ends up either by design or by accident, she opens the jar. <clears throat> and outcome war, pestilence, disease, hatred, all of the ugly things. But she closes the lid of the jar. There's only one thing left in it, which is hope. Hmm. Even that's a tangle. Yes,
0: yeah, <laughs> but we'll get yeah. to it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's such a difficult thing to talk about this story because, like you said, there are so many different versions of it, and then translating it creates issues, and then um, you know it just goes on and on. Because, uh, yeah, thinking about the way that the story is, the way that you, which story you decide to take, really has a heavy um, emphasis on what the meaning is that you take from it. So yeah. um, can you provide us with the details of the story that that are ambiguous, the ones that we're not sure of what they of what they meant from the original? Well, the translation of Jar and Box.
1: That's just really interesting because, you know, you don't carry a big M4 around. a not like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and why would the gods choose and M four, so that that's ambiguous. The the greatest ambiguity is uh, for me, and I could tell when you were smiling. For you is what's in the jar and what stays in the jar, and what escapes mm. from the jar. So that's in there. Um, and there's a piece that I wanted to mention here um, because the jar. It, it only became, became referred to as a box in the 1500s. Um, Erasmus, who was a major philosopher, writer, scholar, mistranslated. So, there's a word that means jar and a word that means box, and pithos means jar, and pyxis means box, and he just misread, apparently. Because yeah. even great scholars can make mistakes. <coughs> and so... Um, what was she doing with the jar? She's given the jar by the gods. She's curious and she opens it. Did they know? Did Zeus know she would open it? Did Zeus want her to open it on purpose? Was she was she told she must open it? Was it just curiosity? That's an ambiguity that still lingers. Um. So yeah, those are the
0: yeah. So there's a lot uh, in there. So were these details? You know, obviously, we know, like with box and jar, that we have like a a point in history where that was changed. Yeah. But do you think a lot of them were changed over time, or do you think there's another explanation for why some of these things are are uh, oh, yeah. a bit un, uncertain? I, I I
1: definitely think they were changed over time, uh, and this is why I love Natalie Hayes's writing. Natalie Hayes uh, is a a writer scholar. She has been doing wonderful fictionalizations, retellings of stories, ancient stories from uh, women's points of view. And uh, one of the things that uh, she has written, I want to read the quotation to you uh, because it answers that very question. Uh, She says... uh, Every myth contains multiple timelines within itself. The time in which it is set, the time in which it is first told, and every retelling afterwards. And this may be the home of the miraculous, but they are also mirrors of us. Which version of a story we choose to tell, which characters we place in the foreground, which ones we allow to fade into the shadows, reflect both the teller and the reader or listener. As much as they show the characters of the myth. And then she says, We have made space in our storytelling to rediscover women who have been lost or forgotten. They are not villains, victims, wives, and monsters. They are people. Mm. I love that writing. Yeah, that's uh, a
0: fantastic quote. Yeah, I, that's a really powerful insight to say that, you know, with the myth, there's the time that it's set, the time that it's told, and then the time that it's retold right because mm. it implies a lot of things it implies that the time in which it's set right in a in, in the sense of a myth is something that is perpetually um gone we don't have access to it right. anymore i think that's by necessity i don't think i think it's hard to have a myth where you can pinpoint the place in time or history where it occurred, right? It's almost this quantum thing where it's like, oh, well, you could locate the time but not the place, or the place but not the time, right? If you have have both, it's no longer a myth, it's history, right? So, the time in which it's told is inaccessible to us. And then the time that it's first told, you know, has a, a very pertinent meaning for the myth itself. And then the retellings are, as we're finding out, and we're we're going to find out from this part of the show going forward, has the ability to change that myth? Has the ability to change the meaning, the story itself? You know, all of it. All of it is up for a sort of subjective um, debate, and that comes back to, I think, the inaccessibility of the the origin. Yeah, the the quantum element.
1: what, What we have to keep in mind mythographers, people who study myths, people who represent myth, like Natalie Hayes. There's something we have to remember. When we say the the first telling of it, we have to at the same time say, nope, it probably wasn't. Mm. It's just the first one that we have a record of. And so when Hesiod puts the story in Theogony, <clears throat> He does it because it's a story that's already known to people. Who knows how he's changed it or what he chose to privilege or what mood he was in when <laughs> he was writing that. And and all of those things going. So there's really not a first mm-hmm. telling, and that's part of the timelines, but there's a, a first recognizable representation. And that's not uh, – that, that shouldn't always just be the – the be-all, end-all. And so, every one of us has the opportunity to retell
0: yeah. the story. Again, it kind of parallels our sapient paradox story mm, where we uh-huh. go, you know, okay, well, modern humans, you could say modern humans emerged 10,000 years ago, right? Because that's when history started. But really, the history of humanity is, goes 10 times farther back in history. It's kind of the same thing with the myth, right? by the time Hesiod gives it to us, who knows how long it's already been told and how many changes it's already gone through, or how many proto-myths have contributed into making it what it is, you know, things that were originally their own thing and now have been compiled into one story. As if history is a separate thing, like like we always talk about the economy. Oh, we've got to do
1: this thing. It's a separate beast. It's this great yeah. so History began with, well, we don't we don't know. We were, remember last week we were talking about the uh, about Pompeii and the and, the, and the, the restaurants. Did you did you see? I didn't. I don't know if I said it to you this week. <clears throat> there there was a piece about Pompeii. The uh, after we had that show and it was about the history of pizza, and decide, did you... It, it, yeah, you didn't send it to me, but that did pop up in my news feed. We, mul- <laughs> we both must have done enough research that really
0: they targeted <laughs> us for Pompeii. So,
1: a kind of focaccia bread that was... But at the vendors, so they weren't all they were writing history. They were living. They were eating focaccia bread, and and, and then being stunned when a volcano was coming up, yeah. <laughs> so, we have to be at one and the same time I think um grateful for the stories that have have been preserved but also remembering that like sourdough bread uh, you, you you can you can make bread off of something that's existed for a couple of hundred years but it's still going to be your own unique bread because mm-hmm. every loaf is going to taste a little different that's an odd metaphor but I think that it works for storytelling yeah um, You know, you you keep the sourdough – I've forgotten the proper name for this. Oh, a starter? The starter in a jar. It ferments. (laughs) It ferments for – it can ferment for generations. (laughs) And so what you get from that starter is not necessarily how it tasted back at the beginning.
0: Yeah. And in that case, it it can almost be turtles all the way down, right? Because if you're looking at the story of Pandora's box, right – it's possible that there were as many other singular myths that contributed to that. But now in the retelling, um, as we're about to find out, if you start changing the details, you're really making different myths off of that same one. So, you know, there's it it just is a a constantly um, almost, you know, it's almost reproduction, right? (laughs) It's like you have this thing that's continually... You know, expanding, but each variation is slightly different. Yes, uh, the genetics
1: of stories. So I've got quantums, <laughs> quantum, quantum <laughs> stuff. We got genetic stuff. We've got sourdough. We've got. And, <laughs> but but the philosophical questions
0: that it raises. Are mm. we ready to dive? Yes, into Yes, yes, I think but, we are. So I think that the big <clears throat> question is, how do the changes of the details affect the meaning of the tale? So let's start with with. The, the big obvious one that we've been talking about. Do you think that the fact that it was changed from jar to box has any um, impact on, on the meaning of the story? To me, it does. I can speak as one storyteller,
1: story listener for life. Because a box implies, not just by shape, of course, but the box implies... Treasures. Mm. What's in the box? Well, that's our culture of speaking, right? So you see a jar, and you might think food, or in ancient times, wine, olive oil, and so on. But it doesn't have the same gift resonance that box may have for us. So that's one thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know that might have played heavily into the the mistake in translation being made because the the background of the story and again we always have to preface anything we're going to say about this by which version of the story we're choosing to talk about but in some versions of the story, right, um you know obviously Pandora herself has been crafted by the gods with the intent to deceive humanity and to unleash these evils and so this box or jar is given to pandora as a wedding gift and she's told under no circumstances can you open it but she's been imbued with the very essence of the gods that cause her to be curious and yes. and want to open it so and that has a, a that's kind of a, a meta-myth about human nature in a way. but. And then we have to go sideways with that one
1: too. Consider she's the first woman, so therefore there have only been men. Mm. So when we say humanity, <coughs> we mean manatee. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> and so there she is, the first woman. What are you to make? Epimetheus is, is not stunned, because he's seen goddesses, he's been part of that whole thing, Um, but she's a human woman, so there are implications that, or seemingly, she's not a human woman, she's made that way, but what makes her human if she's just given all of this stuff and she's wound up and sent? So, it causes us to question the idea of humanity, and wait a second, so all these men for multiple generations, were just living without... Any mothers? Any mothers. So, uh, they were created and they just kept going as there was no fresh generation. It A good story will leave all kinds of seeds
0: mm. for questions and pondering, and this one is filled with... them. Yeah, and I think mm. that a big philosophical mm. question is whether or not Pandora is a woman, right? So, we've talked about how you know, th- it's this is problematic, right? Because she was crafted by the gods, right, to have certain characteristics. But if you have a religious viewpoint, then there's nothing about that description that invalidates her as being a human woman versus a pre-programmed android or meat machine, cool. right? Cool. Because if you uh, if you believe that. God or gods, or there was some deity that created humans, um, then that deity almost necessarily imbued them with certain characteristics, which is a type of programming, right? Hmm. And so just We've be- talked about this before. Yeah, so just because the gods <laughs> gave her certain characteristics, right? okay, the the blacksmith gave her a shape, and Aphrodite gave her. You know, beauty, this and, yeah, and, and all these things. And
1: Mercury, er, er, Hermes. So she's, she's super speed, right? Why do you need that? <laughs> is that human? That's metahuman.
0: That's yeah. So yeah. So <coughs> so is Pandora uh, human, or she something else? Yeah, so it's kind of a crossover, and
1: and why the heck are you punishing humans? For taking back something that you gave them, why are you punishing them when one of your own kind, a titan or somebody, gave them fire in the first place? Or they figured it out for themselves and now you're taking it back and now you're going to punish them because they figured it out for themselves? That's where it takes me to the Babel story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things in there that are, um, you know, there's elements that that cross over quite a bit. But uh, before we get that far, I think that we'll address the biggest change, which is this idea of what's inside the box, right? And so this is sort of the, the linchpin on on the moral of the myth, right? What, what you take away from it is this idea of what's in the box. And so, in the traditional story, like you said, there's all of these evils that escape from the box. Pestilence, war, disease, yeah. Right. Depression. <laughs> yeah. So, what some researchers have found is that that might not be the original. And the original might the things that escaped might have been good things. So it might've been the opposite. Mm -hmm. More importantly, this, this one is like the, the spinning top at the end of inception, right? (laughs) Is hope, right? And what is meant by hope? And so in the Greek, you have this word and it's, it essentially means expectation. Um, But you can use the same word to mean expectation of, good things or expectation of bad things yes you can and so what version of the word you decide to use to interpret hope has a big um has a contributes significantly to the moral of the story whether or not the jar that hope is stuck in is a prison that it cannot escape from or mm-hmm. is a pantry From which humans can now access it has a huge effect (laughs) on the story, right? Yeah, yeah, all of these things. So, why don't we talk about hope a little bit?
1: All right. Well, it it is an old word, but uh, the old English word is just following up on what you the primarily was salvation or mercy. uh, The Germanic word was more of trust. Uh, and then we go back to to wish for, that's the 13th century. And the phrase, we've got to look at this phrase, 1600s. To hope against hope. That was the first time that phrase got used. Um, in uh, to hold to hope in the absence of any justification for hope which comes from King James. And so we, we go back through it, and it's trust, what you said, um, which which isn't trust so much as expectation. And we've changed it into something because, of course, we words constantly change. But expectation is very different. Trust is not the same thing as hope, I think, in our own vocabularies. But if it's in the jar, <clears throat> and I apologize for all this throat clearing. Um, I, I, the, the, I'm going to blame, blame it on the fire smoke because it. Mm. I've, I've been wearing masks, but it, I, I don't know if it's an allergy or, or what to this. Um, but hope is in the jar, and, and as you say, there, there are interpretations where the opposite happens. Good things fly into the world and hope is kept in. But hope, if it's in the jar, was intended, one would think, to also be a pestilence. Mm. <laughs> hope is an evil. Yeah. <laughs> there,
0: there's, a, <laughs> there's almost an existential... Yeah, and I think that I think that the original text of Hesiod backs that up a little bit because at other points during the poem, he -hmm. refers to hope as being something that's useless or um, unproductive, right? Yeah, same time. So he appears to have a negative view of hope. Um, But like we said, the the word hope in the original language can mean expectation of good or bad. But it was used about 80% of the time to mean expectation of good and about 20% of the time to mean expectation of bad. So in all likelihood, had probably meant it as an expectation of good things, but he had a pessimistic view towards it. So if we take that within the context of the whole story, when all of the evil is let out into the world and hope is kept in, it's probably hope for good things. And that hope for good things is probably seen pejoratively. Mm -hmm. But I think that the one, the question that still hangs there is, is hope, is it locked away inaccessible to humans or is it kept for humans to be able to use? Right.
1: Which is the pantry idea of the go to the jar, reach in, get some hope.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, if hope was still in the jar, was it in the jar because it chose to stay behind or was it just the last one out and they were able to put the lid back on before it lid, right? okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and oh was dear. it intended, like you said earlier, was it intended to be an evil or was it kept in there as, you know, some something that was good? I think based upon the, the context, we, we probably know the answer to well, that. I,
1: but, and and that, to me, it's it's, it's a deeply philosophically important question. What is the role of hope? Is there a role of hope hmm. in in living a good life? Uh, you know, if you go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, <laughs> you place that tree right there and you say, no, you mustn't eat of the fruit of that tree any deity worth its omniscience <laughs> is going to know that 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 fruit is going to be eaten. Zeus knew that the lid would be lifted off the jar.
0: Yeah, and that's where the parallels are interesting, right? Is because the jar and the tree of life might as well be the same, right? And both in both stories, you have woman who is created with characteristics that are supposed to lead her to open the jar or eat from the fruit. But in the Greek story, this was done on purpose by Zeus to punish men. But in the Christian story, God is supposed to be unaware that humans were going to eat from this despite the fact that he lives outside of time or space and knows everything that could happen
1: yeah.
0: so that and yeah, that they're, there's they're, been a they're lot they're of different. christian um philosophy and theology that have looked into this problem of, of sure. evil um sure so that and that's a whole different podcast whole di- a, but, it, it is but the parallels are interesting
1: and 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 the and the question is similar. In, in the fact, in the release, do you release this knowledge into the world? Do you release these things into the world? Because, for me, philosophically, it's where the story falls. Really, really short. It doesn't work for me in in this way. War existed from the very beginning of of time for the gods. They were eating each other. They were fighting each other. They were, they were at war with each other. So it's not like war didn't exist in the universe. You see, the likelihood that you're going to keep humans from war is very scant, especially since when your motivations as a god are very human motivations. I, I'm angry. I am angry that you tricked me. Titan, Prometheus. Moreover, I'm angry that that, <laughs> that you took back to humans what I took away from them that they had in the first place. <laughs> I mean put this in the context of brothers. I had it first. You don't get to have it. That's mine. No, I'm gonna come over and get it. <laughs> you know and and when you put it in those terms, um you, you have to seriously question um, the role of God or gods, you don't have to question it to, to again, as always, I, I, I don't say these things to, to try to mess up or mess with people, but just to say, well, really think about the story. Because if it leads you to a face of some kind, then good for you. But, but don't just say, oh, well, there's a story, I just said it, as if,
0: you know, we, that's not how you experience the story. No, I think that, um, you know, part of the story leading you to something deeper has to be examining it critically. And I think in this case, examining it critically, especially in the context of other myths, um, religious myths around the world, when you see the things that are similar among them, and then you try to make sense of them within the historical and cultural context uh, that have existed you go well what really happened at the beginning that caused these people who created these myths to say that there was a woman who unleashed all the evils into the world and right? and,
1: and and the most obvious answer to that is star but it's not a complete answer because that would be too simple it's is is that you have patriarchal systems of storytelling favoring men um, men in charge men as leaders leaders of the gods well that's humans telling stories about the gods fashioned after their own ways of of of
0: conducting their social political existence. And I think that that's definitely a valid assumption, especially when you look at um, the fact that Epimetheus may have been the one to lift the jar in some of the the versions, right? So in that case, you know, patriarchal storytelling may have used Pandora as a scapegoat retroactively in order to um, sort of blame women for releasing the evils into the world, when that may not have been what the original story said it it may not have been but there i there i think there's also an interpretation where you could say there's something deeper there when you think about um the iliad right where you have helen of troy right causing (laughs) this massive war right because you have these factions that that were warring over her it makes you wonder if maybe somewhere towards the beginning of time, there was some sort of epic, epic battle over a woman and then patriarchal storytelling decided to write that into myth as a woman releasing all of the evils into the world. Well, yes, because Helen is in back to Homer but
1: it's presented as this un, 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 inarguably beautiful being so that, uh, well, it's, it's justifiable that men would treat her as property and say, "No, she's mine. No, I'm over. She's mine." Yeah. So, and what does Helen get to say? Well, she says, well, depending on uh, the version of the story, Helen says a variety of things that complicate the the issue. But essentially, yeah, it's at one level, it's patriarchal making property. Of women. I mean, Pandora is created multiply. I mean, her name means uh, all gifted Mm -hmm. or all giving. There's an alternative translation for it. Uh, So, the giving of the gifts. So, whether she, but she has all of these gifts that she has been uh, imbued with that are intended in some way or other to make her irresistible to men. And that can lead then to their downfall, not because of her gifts, but because of what is in
0: the jar. So, her gifts don't get used. Right, and this is where I think we get to the the kernel, the philosophical kernel of... of- of this and the deeper meaning that, that kind of goes into it, right? You have this this woman and in the, and when you get to that point I don't even think that the gender really matters, mm-hmm. right? If you just view Pandora as being representative of humanity as a whole you see, okay, she has all, of, all of the attributes that she's given by the gods are things that make humans uniquely human right? She has curiosity she has you know she's well spoken. She has, uh, you know, the form of, of a human being and things. Outside of you know, some translations say that she was given a, a specifically a deceptive spirit, which maybe that does apply to humans as a whole. You know, you don't see animals going around trying to deceive each other <laughs> left and right in the same way that humans do. But and then she she's named all gifted, right? Yeah. And then what does what does she do with all of those gifts? Right. She's she has this thing, and and the curiosity, all those gifts that she has, forces her to open this jar and release all these evils into the world. Well, if you look at that as a story for humanity, right, and it, it's fascinating that fire is at the at the beginning of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because what has been the the story of humanity since fire was created? Look at us right now, right, with with the situation that we're in, global warming, right. The earth is war- Why is the earth warming? Essentially, it's due to the creation of fire, which has evolved over the years into a combustion engine, which, despite all of the gifts that we have and all the gifts that it has given us to evolve as a species, it has released all of the evils into the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what yeah, that's role, well what role sure. does hope play, right? is hope a bad thing because it causes us to look out at the world we've created and say, you know what? I have an expectation that good things are going to come from this. Or is hope, you know, is it a bad thing because we think that, or is it a good thing because we think that, you know, I, I've, I, really like your, you're bringing it you
1: right up into the climate crisis. <laughs> That's terrific. I, I, I think that hope in that sense is a—hope is a, I think, more negative than not when it is taken in its passive form. I hope things will get better.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, what are you going to do about it to help them get better? And then you get into all the paroxysms, so. what can I do about it? I, and we list all the things that we can do, <clears throat> and then we start looking at the things that we are trying to do, and then we and then we tell ourselves, yeah, but that's not gonna account for a ton of carbon in the atmosphere. But but then we do them because we realize, well, we're taking some kind of action that we can at least tell ourselves we are trying. Yeah. But hope by itself is a piece of gold sitting on the ground (laughs) hope is it's it's a thing sitting in a jar there's it's it's passive
0: yeah and i think that in that way hope is sort of was sort of the focus of the existential philosophers in a certain way right from exactly what you're saying um because hope is expectation right and so once you start to think of things that way and, and again, you can, you can sort of draw a parallel between the human lifespan and the, the lifespan of the species, right? So we've talked a lot in, in previous episodes about death, right? And you go, especially when you're we looking at the Chris Hemsworth documentary and you say, you know, they were talking about, you know, he's, he's trying to adapt to aging. He's trying to work with it but that isn't going to work for him because mm-hmm. he's going to, to die, right? But then you have to ask the question, well, what, what alternative does he have? You don't have an alternative, right? So even though adaptation won't work, it is still your best course of action, right? And then you, if you look at the species as a whole, I think it's something very similar, right? We know even if humankind were to shape up its act right now, turn everything around on a dime, Return Earth to its splendor, whatever. Right, the sun is going to engulf the Earth in ten billion years. Right, we're (laughs) we're going to get incinerated (laughs) if we happen to make it off the Earth, make it to other planets. Right, Uh, we could extend the lifespan of the species, you know, a few billion years. But then eventually the whole universe goes dark and we die. Right, the ultimate end is death. So, then that's that's existentialism, right? Is you go well if the ultimate end is death, then what does it matter? when it comes what does it matter what it means right Mm -hmm. and the crux of that is hope right if hope is a passive thing where you look at you look death in the face and you go and you just say well i hope it turns out all right that is meaningless that is useless right you have to put hope into action you have to say even though I know this thing is coming, even though I know what the end state is, how I, I approach—yes, I have to believe that what happens between now and then, I have some ability, some autonomy to influence it, and that it has some meaning. And that, yeah,
1: that that's that's exactly it, and and that's the existential part of it, and it and it's and it makes it tenable, a palatable, and good, that hope is stays in the jar. Because in, in that interpretation, that's where I've lived with this story for a while. If hope gets out, then nothing will happen. It's it's the worst calamity that there is. If you just, everybody going, oh, I hope it'll be fine. I hope it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> and the world ends. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, right? To think of that as, as hope as being... You know the greatest evil, and that we're lucky it didn't <laughs> it didn't get out, right? Or you know that being the moral of the story. And there's um, a writer named KJ Parker
1: who who, um, who who was the first time that I it was the first writer that I encountered who actually had said something about this because I felt like I was just you know many people have thoughts and you think, well, am I just being perverse for thinking this about? Him? about the jar but no i don't think so
0: no no so yeah it's it it, it's just a fascinating story and i hope that people will think about it a little bit deeper now um but yeah the thing that i love about it is that like all the other philosophy that we'd look at you dig into it and it's not what it seems and when you get right down to it you go man I'm never sure that I'll know what this means. That's That's it. A good story, thus philosophy of
1: story, a good story, uh, you really don't know entirely because there's always more to uncover.
0: Yeah. So until next time, keep